You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hi, and welcome to The Blackest Questions. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, politics editor for The Griot and associate professor of political science at Fordham University. In this podcast, we ask our guests five of The Blackest Questions so we can learn a little bit more about them and have some fun while we're doing it. We're also going to learn a lot about black history, past and present. So here's the way this works. We have five rounds of questions about us, black history, the whole diaspora, current events, everything. With each round, the questions will get a little bit tougher, and the guest has 15 seconds to get it right. If they answer the question correctly, they will receive one symbolic black fist and hear this. If they get it wrong, they'll hear this. But we'll still love them anyway. After the five questions, there'll be a black bonus question at the end just for fun. So, our guest for this episode is Tanya Nolan. She's an accomplished R&B singer, hailing from Galveston, Texas. Her musical journey started in the middle school band as a percussionist and later led her to become one of the first female drum majors for the world-famed Tiger Marching Band at Grambling State. Since then, she's continued to make music and climb the charts. Tanya, thank you so much for joining The Blackest Questions. Hi, thanks for having me. And I wasn't a drummer. I was one of the um, snare drummers. Ooh. Okay, we're going to get into the difference between that. Um, so I, I want to hear all about that because I'm fascinated with percussion instruments. I played the mbira, which is a percussion instrument from Zimbabwe. Have you ever heard of that? No. No, it's not in the drum family. It's the British used to call it a thumb piano, but I'm I'm fascinated by musical instruments. And when I tell you I can't carry a tune, <laughs> and I've seen your videos and your voice is amazing, I am the first one to admit I lip sing in church. Okay, I'm one of those people where when I start singing, <laughs> everyone starts looking around like, what is happening? Are birds being slaughtered? So I cannot wait to hear more about your musical journey and talk to you today. So you ready to answer the blackest questions? I'm ready, let's do this. Okay, all right, first question. It's known to be in the end of slavery in 1865. On June 17th, 2021, President Joe Biden signed new legislation introducing a new federal holiday. What holiday is it? Juneteenth. Juneteenth, that's June 19th. And so Juneteenth, for our listeners, is the day when federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas, to take control of the state to ensure that all enslaved people were to be free. And two months after the Confederacy surrendered, this is when it happened. So although the troops' arrived, arrival came two and a half years later than the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, which was an executive order, by the way, it wasn't a law, it is the 12th federal holiday that's been added uh, to our American calendar. So I know you're from Galveston. When did you first hear about Juneteenth? Did you all always talk about it in school? Because uh, a lot of black Americans did not know about Juneteenth before 2021. A lot of Americans didn't know, but black folks were like, yeah, sorta heard of it, but not really. No, in Galveston, we always talked about it in schools, but, um also in our homes, within our families, we, we definitely knew about it and we celebrated it on mm -hmm. Juneteenth. Whether the rest of the world did, we always celebrated on Juneteenth. Now, what were those celebrations? Did you all have cookouts or was that just an acknowledgement? You know, did you all stay home from school? 
what what did celebrations look like? With, with, with our family, my mother didn't require us to go to school on that particular date. So if if it fell like if it fell on a Wednesday, we definitely celebrated um, that day and also the weekends. And we did cookouts like barbecues, like we celebrated with the, the Juneteenth was our Fourth um, of July. If, if 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 I'm saying that correctly, yeah. we celebrate like um, we couldn't do the fireworks, of course, but we had large family gatherings. Now, so what does it mean for you then to be someone from Galveston to see essentially what it feels like a personal holiday recognized and celebrated now nationally as a, as a proper federal holiday? I feel as if it, um, it's long overdue. We shouldn't have had to fight this hard to make this a um, <laughs> holiday. So it's, it's, it's a win, but um, I'm, I'm happy about it, but I'm not ecstatic because it should have happened regardless right, <laughs> That's right. one of those things it. where it's like we're happy but it's just like you know what it should have been mine now just as an aside what's your favorite holiday my favorite holiday is juneteenth oh is it okay I mean, you know what hold on i have two it's like they're they're hand in hand um it's juneteenth and christmas and my birthday is on christmas eve i love i love christmas so, oh. those, those two. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll remember that here at the Grio. Make sure we give you a shout out on Christmas <laughs> Eve. Okay, so yeah. you're on a roll. Let's keep this momentum going. You ready for question number two? I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do this. Okay. Known as the Galveston Giant, he was the first African American heavyweight boxing champion. Who was he? Oh, my God. Why are you going? His name starts with um, a, a J. He's from he's from my hotel, and I'm getting a brain fart. Um, oh my god, his name starts with a J. I cannot remember. Lewis, last name Lewis. Am I close? You're thinking of Joe Lewis, but it's Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson, OG. Jack Johnson. He have have a statue of him right there in Wright CUNY, blocks away from one of my centers. That's him. That's him. Some of our listeners may remember Jack Johnson, born on March 31st, 1878, and he held the title from 1908 through 1915. And he had a record of 73 wins, 13 losses, and 10 draws. And in 1913, he was convicted by an all-white jury for violating the Mann Act. And so he left the country and returned several years later to serve his 10-month sentence. And for those of our listeners who might not know, the Mann Act made it a crime to transport women across state lines for, quote, the purposes of prostitution or debauchery or any other immoral purpose. And so the the act was initially designed to combat forced prostitution, but it was broadly worded so that the courts could criminalize different forms of consensual sexual activity. Um, and it was used as a tool to, to prosecute Jack Johnson and others. And, you know, Jack Johnson uh, famously dated uh, white women. And so that's how the Mann Act was was used for him. And then he died in 1946 in a fatal car accident uh, at the age of 68, but was inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame in 1954 and was formally pardoned in 2018. So actually all that time later. Um, And so I know that there's a statue for him in Galveston. Growing up, did you all sort of celebrate Jack Johnson the way you all talked about and celebrated Juneteenth? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, not in the same way. No. So, and there's a, there's a statue. Yeah, but no, we didn't. And there is a statue. Is it um, Wright Cuny, W-R-I-G-H-T Cuny, C-U-N-E-Y, right there in Galveston, in the park, in the hood. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yes, it is. In the hood. Oh, wow. I got to go check it out. And that was erected in 2012. Now, did you play sports growing up at all? I, I, I did. I played some sports with my cousins, lots of cousins, kickball, O-U-C out, red light, green light. Um, all, <laughs> all of that. Yes, yes. Soccer. Yes, I, I did sports, but not uh-huh. not like in, um, I wasn't on any leagues or tournaments or anything like that, but yeah. Right. Music was, was clearly your thing, not necessarily... Not necessarily. No, after school, school, school it, it was music. It was I was in band, you know, things like that. Oh, fantastic! You know, I when you said O U T out, it made me think of um, we used to play TV tag. It was a former freeze tag, and so I'm, I think I'm a teeny bit older than you are. So before you could tag someone out, you had to say the name of a TV show, and so I I grew up watching a ton of television so you can play it with musical songs you know you can play make it a little more difficult with songs that have to have certain words in them it's fascinating but i mean just the hours and hours of running around you know summertime with the lightning bugs smelling like outside remember those used to catch them and put them in jars and put holes on top of the jars hoping when we woke up the next morning they would still be alive of course they was always dead put a little dirt in too and grass loved it also caught the tadpoles on on the side and put I I I I had a fun childhood when it comes to um things like that. Yes. Absolutely. And I grew up in the Northeast, but I, I think that, you know, hearing these stories about so many, especially black kids growing up, running around outside, you know, we had skates and hopscotch and our bikes. It's like we're these little black botanists and scientists, you know, trying to figure out whether or not the mm-hmm. red ants will fight the black ants and, you know, creating these little ecosystems to see what will last overnight. Sadly, again, right. not everything did. I'm just fascinated by these these um, childhoods that were filled with activities mm-hmm. that didn't plug mm-hmm. in. But I, I incorporate some of those things that I did in my childhood. Right. So do you feel like um, when you're writing and you're kind of stuck creative creatively do you use nature as a way to kind of help uh jump start some of that creative process or like what is your process when you need to create i'm surprised you said that um when i'm having um writer's block i just stop completely and i will you know um, sometimes go and sit on my front porch or my back porch and listen to nature and just clear my mind and 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 receive all of that goodness like i try to especially during the daytime hours, um, I would try to convince the birds to sing to me. So I would <laughs> get the bird food <laughs> and put it out there so they can come to me so I can just hear their voices um, and the crickets, things like that. Um, it does, it, it relaxes me and it puts me in another zone and mm-hmm. then I get back to it. I don't force myself to mm-hmm. do it, but then I'll get back to it because I, I feel like I'm, I'm refreshed. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm a birder, so you know I, I fully appreciate the cacophony of sounds, um, and you can you can hear the communication and the beauty of it, and I love I love that. Uh, I'll listen to your music with a different ear now, knowing that. Okay, you ready for number three? I'm ready. I, I, mean, I cannot believe I missed Jack Johnson. Oh my god, I'm so. That's you know what we won't we won't tell the folks <laughs> right, in Galveston, <laughs> but when they listen. We're just gonna chalk that up to, um, you know, we we all have we all have brain freezes every now and again. That's exactly what it was, <laughs> the brain freeze. I knew it was a J. I was I was about to say that. Right. Okay, but I'm, I'm ready. What's it? Okay. Question number three. 
This one's a little bit of a toughie. In the third season of Saturday Night Live, this person pulled double duty and became the first black person to perform and host on the show. Who were they? I have no idea. I didn't I was I didn't watch Saturday Night Live quite that often. Absolutely. At all. This one was hard for me, but it's Ray Charles. So on November 12th, 1977, he performed four songs and even joked in his opening monologue. And then at the time, SNL had the cast member Garrett Morris, who was the first SNL black cast member. And he was all, he was on the show. And, and many of you may know uh, Garrett Morris because he also was on Martin uh, as Martin's boss uh, at the at the radio station. And so sadly, Ray Charles died on June 10th in 2004 at the age of 73. So as a musician, do you listen to much Ray Charles? I listen to some Ray Charles. I'm, I'm a fan of his. I'm a fan of his. Do you have a favorite um, Ray Charles so yes, song? Yes, I, I uh, No. I... Not that I can think of on the top of my um, head. So I love all of his songs like Ruby and Cherry. And he has an album with Betty Carter that is my one of okay. my top five albums of all time. Like I think Ray Charles okay. and Betty Carter together make this beautiful music. And I know that your voice is this like blend of all these different like sultry and deep sounds and so like you have mm-hmm. in, in your one voice you have this hybrid sound for me you know whereas like with Ray Charles and Betty Carter the two of them together come to they just come together and create this like pillar of sound that I cannot get enough of because her voice you know had that beautiful hollow kind of crystal clear tin notes and his had this like gravelly, you know, robustness to it. Ah, uh, so yeah, I'm, I can't say that I know all of his work, but this Ray Charles Betty Carter album is just beautiful. I'm gonna definitely have to treat myself with that and check it yes, out. Yes, indeed, especially because your voice is, your voice is so unique, um, I think, and it, it just kind of envelops you in a way that I think Ray Charles and, and Betty Carter do. And so he was on the SNL stage, I always think, whenever I think of sort of black singers, I always think of the Apollo stage. Have you ever been mm-hmm. on the Apollo stage or to the Apollo in New York? No. No, I have not. Is that a... I have not. What's on your bucket list of places to perform? Um, well, I would like to visit I don't um, um, the Apollo and, and, and check it out. And, um, you know, let me um, reword about SNL. I didn't watch it as much in my youth days, but as an adult, I watched it quite often. Right. Saturday Night Live, one of my, um, my favorite um, shows. And as far as Apollo, I grew up watching Showtime at the Apollo with Steve Harvey, OMG. So um, <laughs> I, that's one of my bucket actually visit. And actually be on that stage for some mm-hmm. type of um, performance. Not sure yet. I w- it was presented to me recently. Something about what, from one of my team members about um, Showtime at the Apollo. So I'm gonna get back with him on yeah, that. Yeah, I uh, I've I've done some political events there. I think what always fascinates me, and I know you perform quite extensively all over, how these places look so large on television. And then when you get there, <laughs> yeah. it's like, this place is tiny. Can them camera trick? Yes, these fishbowl cameras. Real. Uh-huh. Okay, you ready for uh-huh. question number four? Yes, I am, Dr. Christie. Okay, here we go, here we go. Question number four. 
This person served as Kamala Harris's chief of staff during her 2020 presidential campaign and recently was the first black and openly LGBTQ plus White House secretary. Who is this person? And White House press secretary. I am, I'm, I'm, you know, it just sounds as if I'm just not educated when it comes to No, no, no. I do not watch the news hardly ever. It, it, it would have to be because it's depressing to yes. me. So on the news, a lot of this includes politics. I have no idea, but I do know who Kamala Harris is. I, I have her right here to the right of me on my oh, wall. Oh, excellent. So Vice President Kamala Harris, when she teamed up with Joe Biden as his vice presidential uh, nominee and they were running for the presidency, she chose Corrine Jean-Pierre, um, who has since become... Uh, the U.S. press secretary for uh, the president. And in that role, which uh, Corrine assumed on May 13th, 2022, Corrine um, essentially serves as the, the voice of the White House. And so this position was originally first started March 4th in 1929. And so some of the duties of the press secretary is collecting information about events and actions of the president and the administration. Uh, and so Corrine uh, is the first African-American, first Haitian-American, the first openly gay member of, uh, or gay press secretary in the history of our nation. And so it's a huge role um, that we have a black woman representing us uh, in, in that capacity. And the LGBT, yeah, yes it is, and, most deaf. And we can't, you know, I think a lot of folks focus on the fact that Kareem's the child of immigrants and black, but it's really important that we also uplift the fact that Green is uh, openly gay and has always sort of been in the forefront of making sure that the LGBTQ plus members are seen uh, in this capacity. And so I know that you've done a lot of work to support members of the LGBTQ plus community. And so why do you think that so many people in the arts have been so vocal and like leaders in this capacity. And we haven't always seen people in other occupations kind of step up and stand up the way they could or should. Oh, maybe the others and those other occupations um, don't think it is important, but in the LGBTQ community, the ones that are standing up think it's important and, and have a voice and they're fighting for it. I, I don't understand why the others are not doing it. Um, and whatever those other areas are. But when it comes to the LGBTQ community, we've been around forever, before Christ, after Christ, whatever you want, we've been here forever and ever and ever. And so it's like, it's like we're here and we're not going anywhere. And it just makes sense to fight for our rights. And I'm proud that we have individuals in this community and in, in, in all communities throughout the entire world that's um, willing to, you know, put 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 their their peace of mind on the line. OK, and when I mean peace of mind, because it's not going to just it's not an easy process. It's not an easy journey, but they're paving a way for the future. They're paving a way for, you know um tomorrow they're paving a way for now and i'm just grateful that we're finally being heard and i'm very grateful for you know obama who assisted in passing that um same-sex marriage um law because i'm married to someone who i love dearly and 
it's a lot that goes into that, but it's like we're here and we're not going anywhere. Absolutely. Ever. I think, you know, I always feel like we've come so far in a lot of issues, LGBTQ plus issues, racial and ethnic uh, issues, uh, mm-hmm. gender and sexuality, you name it. But we still have so far to go, you know, because it seems we in American democracy, there's always this progress and regress. You know, we make two strides and then sometimes it feels as though we fall back some, you know, and, and as we, we think about this particular past administration and how they tried to roll back so much of the progress uh, that we've made in our communities and with the people that we love, uh, it just, it reminds me to just always keep my foot on the gas, right? So we can't just sort of have a win and celebrate the win. It's like, no, 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 we still gotta, we gotta, we gotta keep the pressure on. Mm-hmm. That's right. I agree wholeheartedly. Okay. I think you're doing well. I think you're doing well. <laughs> I do think I'm doing well. I, I, I've been educated today. I appreciate it. And I appreciate it, it too. Appreciate and our it. listeners, I know, appreciate it because, you know, the goal of this podcast, as I told you, Tanya, you know, we are not perfect. We just need to make sure that we know our history so that we can keep the, keep doing the good work, right? Okay, so so this one, let's see. Because I know that you are, you know, you are our resident musician here on The Blackest Question. So question number five. You ready? I'm okay. ready. Let's go. So we like football and we all love the band. We can have our thoughts about the NFL and all that good stuff. But, you know, we like football. Uh-huh. We love the band. What is the name of the post-game band performance called? Post-game band performance? I've never heard of that. Ooh. That's new. Ooh, I can't wait for you to talk to my producer about this. So, the name of the post-game band performance is oftentimes called the Fifth Quarter, or the Battle of the Bands. Oh, Jesus! I did not know oh, that. <laughs> so that's when both no. bands stay after the game and they go for song for song in a battle. And so they're on YouTube for our listeners. You can do a fantastic deep dive. And there is hours and hours of content and talent about these fifth quarter battles uh, from these folks who are um, coming from SWAC, the, the Southwestern Athletic Well, Conference. this thing, I knew about the battles. Of course, I knew about the battles, but I didn't know that's what they called it. Like They call it the, the fifth quarter. And so because of certain rules during the game, the band can't play as much. So the fifth quarter gives these bands essentially free reign to show off their skills. I do know all about that. And, Very aware okay, of that. So in band culture with the likes of Southern and Jackson State and Prairie View A&M and most recently FAMU and Bethune-Cookman, those are just a few of the colleges that sort of have these very popular And the swag. Right. Yes, indeed. Right. Indeed. So when you were in the band, you played snare drum or did you play something else in the band? I play snare. Oh. Snare. Yes. All in the wrist. All in the wrist. Snare. Okay. Now, who's your musical inspiration for drumming? Was it like Sheila E or was it someone else growing up? No musical influence when it comes to percussion. How that happened was I had a um, a large overbite. Okay. Not a gap. And so in, um, uh, I think it started in sixth grade, as far as me being in band, um, they had to decide what instrument mm-hmm. I was going to be on. So by me paying a flute with a huge overbite was not going to happen <laughs> with a clarinet. It was not going to happen. So they threw me on the drums, and I'm glad that they mm-hmm. did. And um, that's how that happened. Oh, fantastic. You know, I feel like... I want to do a deep dive because so many of my friends, you know, in that sixth grade when 
essentially you choose an instrument and then the teacher chooses an instrument for you at the same time, right? And then there's that kind mm-hmm. of compromise that is made. I've talked to so many black women who were told because of something with their embouchure, but we'll just call it with their mouth, right? Whether their lips were quote unquote too big or their teeth were a particular way, they were given a particular instrument um, by a teacher, but they were also told explicitly because you look this certain way, we're giving you this other instrument. And I just feel like that little snippet that you just said reminded me of several black women who have said something very similar that is prompting me to deep dive and ask around a little bit more um, as to people's experiences in that sixth grade musical instrument choice selection. Yeah, th- that's how that happened. Mm-hmm. My niece was geared toward the trombone. <laughs> so she's this little sixth oh, grader wow. carrying around this massive trombone. Okay, so here we are. Oh. I think we did okay. I think we learned a lot. But before I let you go, you have time for a little bonus question? I have plenty of time. Let's do okay. this. So these are just a yes or no answer. You just choose either A or B. You ready? So this is rapid fire. Okay. I'm ready. Who's got the better chicken? Frenchies or Popeyes? Frenchies. Krispy Kreme or Shipley's? Shipley's. Dream Girls or the Five Heartbeats? The Five Heartbeats. Ooh. Okay. Would you rather be stuck in traffic <laughs> on I-45 or deal with the Texas heat? Um, oh Lord, um, oh Jesus, uh, stuck in traffic on I-45. Okay, if the cookout starts at 5, what time are you getting there? About 6.30. <laughs> That's early. And New Orleans Bounce or Houston Screw? Houston Screw. All right. Boom. Boom, boom, boom. boom. Oh my gosh, Tanya. I can't thank you enough for joining us here on The Blackest Questions. And I want to thank you all out there for listening to The Blackest Questions. And so this show is produced by Cameron Blackwell and Richard White. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. Don't forget, you can listen to The Griot's Writing Black Podcast hosted by me, Maisha Kai. This isn't your typical writing podcast. We interview any and everybody that has anything to do with writing, from comics to poets to authors to journalists to politicians and more. Remember, that's Writing Black every Sunday right here on the Griot's Black Podcast Network. Download the Griot's app to listen to Writing Black wherever you are.